Father in heaven, thank you for America. Uh, you have raised up this nation, and we give you all honor and glory and thanks for the heritage we have, for the freedom we have. We thank you for those in our military service who have defended and purchased that freedom, especially those who have given their lives in that regard. We thank you for the patriots who have preceded us, who have given their lives to give us the Bill of Rights and our Constitution and our freedom of religion. And we're so grateful for our heritage. Thank you, God, uh, for America as we approach her birthday. We pray for America. We pray for our president, Joe Biden. We pray for our Congress, our Supreme Court. We pray that your hand would be upon them to give them wisdom. And the beginning of wisdom is a fear of the Lord. And we pray that for each of them. And Lord, we pray for the future of America as well. You say in Jeremiah 18 that if you plant a nation and that nation uh, does evil, then you'll reconsider the good that you had intended for that nation. Oh God, we pray that's not where America is today. And you say also in Jeremiah 18 that if you intend to destroy a nation, and that nation repents and turns to you, then you will not inflict that judgment upon it. So, oh God, we pray for America. We pray for repentance from our evil. We pray we would turn to you, that we would be spared. We pray, Lord, with churches all across America today who are praying, oh God, forgive us of our sins, heal our land, bless our future, we pray. Father, as we gather here in worship, I pray for Amy and these worship leaders as they lead us. May our hearts be directed to you. I pray for Jake Dorak as he preaches your word today, that you'll fill him with your spirit and, and teach us through your word. So we commit this hour to you. May people be drawn to Jesus, your son, our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand and continue worshiping this morning.
foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting. God so loved the
Good morning. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Psalm uh, 138. And then if you've got a ribbon on your Bible, drop it in uh, Luke 18 as well. Love that movie clip because we find that in every gym, the charity stripe is 15 feet, the hoop is 10. But you look at our world today, we've got a Russia-Ukraine crisis, a banking crisis, People are having a hard time defining what a woman is. We're ramping up for an election year. They're thinking, wow, things have changed. This is bigger than us. 
it's getting dark out there. It's getting a little crazy, and I think it's going to get worse. So today we want to remind ourselves, just like a basketball hoop is 10 feet, that we have the same message, the same mission, and the same God as we've always had. I was at the Jesus Tent a few weeks ago, and a, a longtime Bonnaroovian came to me. He said, I've been here from the very beginning. A lot of Bonnaroo has changed, but you guys stay the same. But there was a lot of truth in that statement. So here's the question we want to ask of the text this morning, Psalm 138. How do I remain focused on the mission when the world is always changing? And I believe that the answer to that question is found in this psalm, and it's found in the very first line that provides an outline for how we understand the full poem or song that David has written. And the first line says, I will praise you, Lord, with all of my heart. And what we're going to find in the text this morning is four words that tells us how do we remain focused in a world that is ever-changing. So our first word we're going to see here is intention. You find that in verse 1 through 2. David lays out these four I will statements. And these I will statements essentially lay out his intentions, his intentional way of living. These are predetermined. No matter what happens to David, these are the ways that he is going to live. You could say that these are David's convictions. Now, David didn't start out with these convictions. These were things that were built into him over time. But I love these convictions because they're both bold and humble. A notable note of, of just David's life is that he's got this bold courage about himself, right? I'll fight Goliath. But then he also expresses deep humility. You read Psalm 51. But he says, I'll praise you, Lord, with all of my heart. And then look here at the second part of verse 1. He says, before the gods, I will sing your praise. Right? Now, that word gods there in the text is so interesting. In the Hebrew, it literally means heavenly beings, but it could also mean false gods. And I think the quotation marks around it is really kind of David trying to tell us these are the false gods or the idols of the culture that you're living in. Now, idols are basically good things or bad things, but they're good things that we elevate to God things, and that makes them bad things for us. And as we're here this morning, we got to ask the question, what are the gods of Coffee County? If we're going to be missionaries to our culture, let's look at it for just a second and think, what are the lesser things that we have elevated to ultimate things that our world worships instead of the one true God? And like I said, if we're going to be missionaries, these are the things that we've got to leverage. We've got to come alongside them and say, yeah, these things are good, but Jesus is better. We've got to show them how. So I started thinking over the last couple weeks, what are the gods of our culture? What are the gods of Coffee County? And I think some of the main ones are, are success and reputation, right? We want to look like we got it all together. For some of us, it's social media and reactions. We want people to like us. For others, it's our family, right? We, we love our family. But I'll tell you a big one that I think is unique for us. We love sports, don't we? I mean, have you, have you watched, uh, you know, any kind of peewee sports or high school sports? 
We love sports. I'm not even getting into college and pro. And uh, one of the big things that I think we see a lot in our culture is travel ball. Um, anybody participate in travel ball lately? We just entered the world of AAU. Luke's only in third grade, right? I want to put a picture up of his team this year. This was our first ever Top Gun team. And uh, when we started this team, we laid out some intentions. The first one was this. We are not missing Sunday worship, right? We will only play on Sunday if it's after 1 p.m. And if we have to, we will wear our uniform to church. Where did I learn that? I learned that by watching you guys. That's some of the things that you all have done that I thought, man, that's kind of neat, right? Um, through this, I, I got to interact with tons of unchurched families. I see every Saturday morning people worship, but they worship and live vicariously through their kids. Um, in this particular pic, uh, I'm in the middle there talking to the kids, and I'm saying, hey, listen, play hard, play for the Lord, do not look at the scoreboard, right? If it rhymes, it's right. Because here's the thing, we didn't win a game, right? Our first game, we lost 45 to nothing. I'm sorry, I'm talking about it, Luke. We'll, we'll move on, <laughs> right? It's the only time I'll ever use you. We'll work this out later. I apologize. 45 to nothing in basketball. Wow, that's impressive. But here's the thing. After a full year of going over whatever, we lost count after a while. I had parents at our, um, our, our end-of-the-year banquet. We had it here at the parlor in our church. Because uh, I was just trying to get some people to come into our building. And, uh, and I had parents coming up to me saying, man, this was a great season. A great season? We didn't win a game. But in a sense, we focused on everything else but basketball. David says, before the gods, I will sing your praise. Here's the question we got to ask as we look at this. How can you leverage the false gods in your world? How can you take the lesser, elevated things and tell a better story? You say, listen, I know you love this thing. It might even be good. But Jesus is better. How can you show that? Now that's bold, isn't it? And the question I keep asking is, how do you acquire that boldness? Well, look at the next verse, verse 2. David says, I will bow down towards your holy temple. Now, this would be the tabernacle of Moses, or what's called the tent of meeting, right? Solomon had not built the temple yet. The Ark of the Covenant would be there. The mercy seat where Jehovah dwelt would be there. And essentially, in the Old Testament context, what David is doing is he is orienting his life to Jesus. And this thing, this orientation, this turning himself towards Christ, it humbles David. You know, it's, it's better to humble yourself than to be humbled. Can I get an amen? 1 Timothy 1.15 says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. John Bunyan in his book, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, says the only reason the Apostle Paul could write those words is because he never met John Bunyan. I would add the only reason John Bunyan could write such words is because he never met Jake Dorak. The question I have for you is could you say the same? 
You see, David's intention is, I will praise you before the gods. I'll humble myself. I'll bow down towards the temple and praise your name. You notice here with David, his worship is both public and corporate. His worship is not just a Sunday morning thing. The world is not shy about what it worships. We shouldn't be shy either. And why are these David's intention? Look at the next line. He says, because of your unfailing love and your faithfulness. These are God's, some of God's covenantal perfections. You see, in a covenant, you say, regardless of what you do, this is what I'm going to do. God, in his covenant with us, says, even if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I'm going to hold up mine. And so only God can love without fail. Only God uh, is perfectly faithful. And what I love about Psalm 138 is I believe there's a contrast in the psalm with, with Luke 18. And I can't prove this. The scriptures doesn't, it doesn't explicitly say this. But I'd like to think when Jesus is telling this parable of the Pharisee and tax collector, he's thinking about Psalm 138. So if you got your Bibles, flip over real quick to Luke 18 with me. We're going to do this a couple times today. And in Luke 18, it says here in verse 10 that two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. We kind of understand the the backgrounds of those two. Now here's what you see. The Pharisee, like David, orients his life towards the temple, towards Jesus. And he stands by himself and he prays, God, I thank you I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Like I said, the Pharisee has turned himself like David, but instead of a response like David, Paul, or John Bunyan, He has a different response. It's not one of humility. So the question I've got to ask is, man, how do I not do things like that guy, right? How do I not be like this Pharisee here? Flip over to Psalm 138 back. Get that ribbon going, right? And the third part of the second verse, it says, For you have exalted your solemn decree so that it surpasses your fame. That's kind of clunky. I love the way the ESV Kind of says this. Let me read the ESV to you. It says it this way. Um, For you have exalted above all things your name, meaning your attributes, your nature, your love, and your word. You see, we're humbled by God's name, his attributes, and it drives us to know him in his word. This is why the Bible is our authority. I've heard someone else say this, I'm not sure who, but they said, we love the word of God because it teaches us about the God of the word. Theologically, this is why we have to have specific revelation of Jesus and not just general revelation of nature in order to know God. But David in this first part says, listen, if you want to be focused on the mission when the world is ever changing, the first thing you have to do is you have to be intentional. And you have to be intentional in making all of life about worship, which leads us to the second word. So intentions are good, but you got to have action. And so our second word is worship. David says, I will praise you. As I've prepared the last couple weeks, you know in your daily life how you just have some things that you don't want to do, you know, like the dishes, cleaning the playroom, things like that. And so what I've had to continually tell myself is, 
Just make it worship, right? I know you do it every day. Just make it worship. My wife's like, you wash the dishes every day? Let's move on. Keep going. But David not only tells us that this is what we're supposed to do, he gives us some reasons. Reason number one is relationship. Look here, verse 3. He said, when I called, you answered me. Y'all have a friend that you call that never answers? You know anybody like that? Don't point at them, right? Keep your hands down. Can I confess? I, I am that friend. I know this one guy. Every time he calls me, I'm in the middle of something and I can't answer. And then I get busy and it's like a week later before I call him back. And it's usually the same guy, right? I'm glad God's not like that. Amen? Here's the thing. When you call on God, he always answers. He answers usually in one of three ways, right? He'll say yes, no, not right now. Wait. That third response is the worst. Anybody like that third response? That one's terrible. Here's what I want you to see. David, at this point in his life, has seen some troubles. This psalm is most likely written around the time when David is surrounded by enemies of Absalom. They're about to overtake the city. If you research David's life, over half of his life is him dealing with troubles. Troubles inflicted by others. Troubles inflicted by himself. But I think this morning we need to be reminded of all the times when we have called on God and he has answered. So pause for a moment. Can you reflect on the last time you called on him and he answered? Can you think of your whole life and how many times you've called on God and, God, I need you, and he was there? I would venture to say that it's happened more times than you can count. And I would also say it's happened more times than you deserve. The second word here, the second reason is empowerment. He says, when I called, you answered, and you greatly emboldened me. What I like about this is that God didn't change David's troubles. He empowered him to walk through them. I think this is how God works in my life. It's probably the way he works in your life. God, can you take this away from me? No. But I'm going to walk with you through it. I'll be with you. And in many ways, this is how we learn to understand the voice of the Father in our lives. It's that voice that says, come on, let's keep walking. Get up. I'll be with you. The third reason he gives us, and I think this is most important, spoiler alert, reason three is he's worthy. Look at the next line. It says, may all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. You see, God is so glorious, he is to be acknowledged and worshipped in all of the earth. And what God has decreed, the gospel, it's good news for everyone. Well, how will the nations praise our God? The text says, when they hear what he has said in his word. You see, we have the same message, the same mission, and the same God as we've always had, even in the midst of change. And what I think is so interesting, if you look at this, is that David is a king, and he is concerned about the salvation of kings. Now, this could be that David understands the influence of kings, and he wants to pray for them, but Spurgeon points out that this is a mission of vocation. He says this, Charles Spurgeon, King David cared about the king's souls, and it would be wise for each man to look after those 
who are of his own order. And what he's saying here, Spurgeon is, is that kings should care for the souls of kings. And teachers should care for the souls of teachers. And engineers should have a heart to reach engineers. Students to reach students. Or how about the hardest job in the world? Moms to reach moms. What is more, David even gives us a prayer to pray for those that we would like to reach. Look what he says next. He says, May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Who's that person right now that you're trying to reach? Who's on your heart? Let's, let's read this verse a different way. Let me put up the next slide here. It says this. Um, may blank, you fill it in. Sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. As you read this here, though, notice how will people sing? How will people worship the Lord? It says this when, um, when they see the glory of him. And they're in awe of the glory of him. I've, I've wrestled with this this past week, right? Essentially what this text is saying is um, when we are in awe of God, we will sing praises to him. So the question I've been asking is, do I or, or do we sing enough, right? Sometimes we come to worship and we're thinking, oh, I'm just going to take it all in, kind of lay back and stay reserved, Right? This text says, when we see the glory of God, we will sing his praise. And so, here's the test I had for this. Where else in our world do people gather and sing about what somebody has done? You may think of concerts, and I guess that's true. You're singing along with someone on stage. But here's an idea. I know a place where 100,000 people gather and they sing together whenever somebody does something incredible, right? Let me flesh this out a little bit more. When Joe Milton throws a 70-yard bomb to Squirrel White and he lands in the end zone, people stand and they sing what song? Okay, you don't want to say it. That's fine. Rocky Top, right? Now, here's the thing. Whatever your college is, you have a song as well. We all have a fight song. But isn't it incredible that when we see something and we're in awe of it, we stand to our feet and we praise and we sing? I just wonder, sometimes, are we missing that when we gather? Because our God has done, done something more incredible than any touchdown a wide receiver could score. So let's look at verse 18, or Luke 18 again. The Pharisee orients himself toward Jesus, and he sees his own glory. We, we don't want that. But look at verse 13. The tax collector, he stands at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, you would say the beating of his chest, that that's him beating himself up, but some commentators say that this is symbolizing him giving his whole heart to God, which leads to the third word. And the third word is this, wholehearted. I will praise you with all of my heart. Look at the next part of this verse, starting verse, or Psalm, starting in verse 6. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. One more callback to Luke 18, and then we're done. Flip over, the words are on the screen. 
Jesus then tells this parable and he says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified, made right before God. Let all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Two men go to a holy place to do a holy thing. One goes away holy. The other does not. And we see why. We keep walking. David says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. Um, There's a brilliant researcher. Her name is Brene Brown. She's not a Christian from what I can tell, but she uh, has written some great books and research. She says, the biggest obstacle to wholehearted living is this thing called vulnerability. You've got to put yourself out there to be wholehearted. And she says, in, in our culture today, with social media and cancel culture, people are just afraid to put their hearts out there. Here's what I want you to see. David lays out how you can live a wholehearted life. This is why you can go all in with God and what he has called you to do. Look at this last line of the psalm. Look at what David says. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hand. Look at the way the ESV says it. Let's flip over to the next slide. He says this. I think it just captures it. The Lord will fulfill his purpose in me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, it endures forever. That last line. Do not forsake the work of your hands. I have a, uh, an I on my college transcript. And I found out that I means incomplete, not interesting, right? But professor thought, oh, that's interesting. We'll just give you that grade. Here's what happened. I was a college pastor, or I was a, a student pastor when I was in college, And uh, we went on our spring retreat, and I was reliving some of my glory days, right? And I heard a pop in my elbow. I tore some ligaments. I had to have surgery. Really great scar right here. It's awesome. I'll show it to you later. But as my surgery was coming up, I emailed my professor, and I said, listen, this is what happened. And he gave me three options. He said, you can complete your assignments and receive your grade. You could take an incomplete or you can fail the course. And I thought, wow, that's such a compassionate response. I got warm fuzzies. <laughs> so I did the best I could. You ever try to type with an arm in a sling? It's, it's not working. So I emailed him and said, okay, I'll take the I. And I finished the course the next semester. Let me tell you why you can worship and serve the Lord with your whole heart and not hold anything back. Here's why. Even in a dark world where it just seems so vulnerable to put yourself out there, here's what I want you to hear this morning. He's not going to fail in his work in you. He's not going to be incomplete in his work in you. Even if you mess it up, he is going to finish what he started in you. He will not abandon the work of his hands. And you may wander in your chair right now, well, Jake, how do you know that? I'll tell you how I know that. The final words of Jesus to tell us die. It is finished. Let me show you this word. It means it is finished, but that root word, uh, teleo, it means to bring to an end, to complete, or to accomplish. But when you conjugate that into to tell us die, it's in the perfect tense, which means it's an action that's completed in the past 
but has results working into the present and the future. What this means is the saving work of Jesus was completed on the cross in the past with work or results that are continuing into the present. Meaning, God's work is finished. It's completed in you and it's still in effect today. It is finished and it is being finished. Which leads to the final word I want you to get today and that is this, Lord. How do I stay focused on the mission when the world is always changing? I will praise you, Lord, with all of my heart. You see, we've got to be reminded that he is Lord. In the words of Paul, it says, Jesus was found in the appearance of man, but he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's where we land the plane this morning. Here's the invitation. Which of these four words are for you? Which one do you need this morning to carry into this week? Maybe the first one is your intention. Are you ready to praise him before the gods? To take the lesser things and show how Jesus is better? Are you ready to humbly orient your life to Jesus in all things? Maybe number two is, maybe your word is worship. Maybe you need to make doing the dishes worship. Make all of life worship. And maybe today it's becoming in awe of what God has done for us. Knowing him in his word. Number three, maybe it's wholehearted. Maybe today you say, hey, I've got to go all in. I'm holding back. I'm afraid of what people may think or I'm afraid of what might happen. You put yourself out there. Maybe God could be calling you to do something you thought you could never do. But it's time to get vulnerable. It's time to live wholeheartedly. Or maybe it's Lord that you need to let go of control. You're not in charge. So God, I trust you. I trust you with my soul. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my kids. I trust you with my finances. You're Lord. The last thing we hear today is that Jesus says, it's finished. He won't abandon the work in you because it's already done. What's left for us now is to repent and believe and obey. Let's pray together. Father, as we have looked at your word this morning, I pray um, wherever we are at, God, we would look at these four words from the text. God, that we would set our attention, intention to worship you because you are Lord. We give you our whole hearts because that's all we have to give, God. So, Father, I pray for those who here who are not currently in a relationship with you, Father, that they would realize that you're better. You're better than anything this world could offer. And for those of us who follow you, God, that we would turn towards the temple. We would orient our lives to you. It would humble us. And we would follow you and exalt you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen.
this morning, this is the invitation. Maybe today it's to follow Jesus for the first time. We invite you to come forward or meet a pastor at the Welcome Center. Maybe it's to join this church and to follow the Lord in, in obedience to baptism and church membership. You can do that in the same way, by coming forward or going to the Welcome Center. But maybe today is a day of saying, like David, I turn myself towards you, Jesus, and I humble myself to exalt you. Would you stand and sing as you stand in awe of God together?
You can be seated. Thanks for joining us in worship as we uh, got to worship in song and hearing the word. And I uh, also want to remind you, you can worship through giving. The box is there at the back of the room on your exit. You can drop offerings and gifts there. Uh, we're uh, celebrating the, the fourth week, and uh, so just to make you aware of some schedule changes, the office will be closed Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday night, we will not be having our outdoor worship time, kind of a little break with the holiday. But uh, there's lots going on. You can uh, see in the worship guide uh, the things happening. I want to remind you about the Invest in the Best program, uh, the, the uh, backpacks to do school supplies. You can grab a card and follow the instructions out there. Uh, and then uh, the other things coming up. We're excited to baptize at the lake at the end of the month, July 23rd. Yeah, I got that right. Uh, if you want to be baptized, be sure to talk to Dr. Cox and we'll get that arranged so we can celebrate that time out at the lake. So uh, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. And I hope you'll join us in connection groups. Father God, we thank you for your love for us and we thank you that we can gather in freedom uh, to worship you and to celebrate who you are, God. And I pray that we would... Uh, lean on you as our firm foundation, that we would look uh, to humble ourselves and to worship you uh, as we uh, uh, try to proclaim, proclaim your truth and live out your love in a world that's ever-changing, God. Let us hold on to you so that we can be uh, light in this dark world. Thank you for your love for us that, uh, in, 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 that saves us and empowers us to do so for your glory. And we pray things, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.